Hola, my beautiful humans. This is Jasmine Castillo, and I bring stories and cases from the people of color community, bringing awareness of murdered and missing indigenous women, girls, two spirits, the LGBTQ community, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander, Black Indigenous people of color. These are their stories. So, welcome to Hands Off, my podcast. Part 2. Reclaiming Our Voices This conversation with Connie is correlating to Part 1, specifically from the Federal Indian Boarding School Initiative Investigative Report from BIA.gov. As I mentioned before in Part 1, there was three indigenous organizations in B.C. had received a total of $1.5 million from the province to enhance counseling services for victims of residential schools and their families. The federal government has set aside more than $30 million for the same purpose, and both governments have promised more assistance after First Nations identified that resources are needed. And in 2015, Canada's Truth and Reconciliation Commission report identified 3,200 children who died in residential schools, and to this day, there are thousands more who have yet to be found and identified. I had the honor of speaking with Connie Gray Eyes, and I pretty much let her take the floor because she is a woman that has so much in depth and information and was willing to share with me in details about her organization as well as a little bit about herself. This will be by far the longest episode that I will have, but every single moment in this episode is informative and she has so much knowledge that I couldn't wait to share every single sentence about herself, her journey, and how she came to being part of an organization called Indian Residential School Survivors Society, and it's based in Vancouver, British Columbia. Indian Residential School Survivors Society is also called IRSSS as an acronym, and it's an organization with a 20-year history providing services to Indian residential school survivors. IRSSS has a wealth of experience delivering wellness and healing services to Indian residential school survivors and intergenerational survivors throughout BC. IRSSS provides essential services to residential school survivors, their families, and to those dealing with intergenerational traumas. So my name is Connie Grayeyes, and uh, I am the daughter of Veronica and the late Joseph Grayeyes. I'm the mother of two amazing sons and the wife of an amazing husband, Chris. Um, I actually am a, a member of the Big Stone Cree Nation, Treaty 8 territory in Canada. And um, I work as the Northern Coordinator for Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls for the Indian Residential School Survivors Society. That's a real mouthful. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, I think that I, I, I often get um, introduced as an accidental activist, which, which is really actually the truth. Um, my cousin was uh, murdered in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada in 1993. And her story is online. Um, she was beaten and doused with gasoline and lit on fire 
1993 uh, by a complete stranger. He was 18 at the time. And that, um, that really, uh, years later at the time, I was, I was an addict and it didn't, it didn't dawn on me how traumatic and awful and the worst thing imaginable happened to one of my, my first cousins. And um, one of my good friends named Dave Terry, he has since passed on. Um, I used to drop my kids off at the preschool and he worked there. And he said, hey, they're doing these amazing things all across Canada. You have to come look. And I was like, okay. So he opens up his computer and, and he said, they're having these vigils all across Canada. They're called Sisters and Spirit Vigils. We should do one here. And this is in Fort St. John, where I live. And, um, and so I was like, yeah, sure. Or, yeah, I'm in. And uh, like, I don't know, it was like not even two weeks later, he's, he, I, I'm dropping my son off and he's like, you have to come in here. We got our, we got our package. And so I was like, what package? And he said, you know, we're going to have the vigil. And I was like, okay. So that really is, is how I accidentally fell into MMIWG work and, and activism and, um, and that supportive role for community members, as well as, as my friends all across Canada that, that are experiencing a missing or murdered loved one right now. Um, we had the vigil. I had my son in his little grass dance outfit and, uh, and there was a little jingle dancer. They were like, I think three or four and a few family members came and, uh, and it just grew from there. And, and next thing you know, I was being invited to Ottawa. Um, I remember my first trip to Ottawa on the Hill, October 4th. And, um, I get there and I arrive and I'm like, Oh, this is going to be amazing. Right. I've never been to Ottawa. I've never been to a rally on, on Parliament Hill. And then they're, they're like, okay, you're the third speaker. And I was like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, we'd like you to speak about all of the women that are missing in your region um, and bring voice to that. And that was the very first time that I ever publicly spoke in that magnitude um, was at that very first vigil that I went to. And um, I was scared. My voice was shaking. And uh, when I was done, I felt so empowered to be able to, to speak about it to all of those people that were there. Um, and ever since then, I've, I've not stifled my voice. It's important, even when it's not popular. You know, the report that I did um, with Amnesty called Out of Sight, Out of Mind drew me a lot of criticism because they felt I was taking an attack on my community where I live, where I reside in Treaty 8 territory. And I've always responded that that report was never about bashing my community, but about highlighting the things that we can do to make our community better for everyone. Mm -hmm. And if that's not important to you, then that's your problem. Right. You know, right. the thing about it is, is that when you know better, you have to do better. So here's the report. Now, you know, better. Let's do better. Let's make this let's make this community safe for everyone that lives in this community, no matter what color your skin is. You know, regardless of whether the report was about um, Indigenous people in the territory, and it's still about making the community better for everyone that lives in it. Yeah, I think that being a, a human being, we're automatically uh, advocates, and you took on the role of becoming the to me a superhero of an advocate by accident so <laughs> it, it was an accident and yeah. 
I think I, I always I always say that um, you know it's almost like serendipity what what happens to me. Um, I, I I happen to be in the right place at the right time all the time. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I did uh, I did a project for the province, um, and it was an Indigenous gender based analysis toolkit for the province for communities and for um, resource companies to come together at a table. And here's the things that you may not know about that you might need to mitigate if you come to work in our territory. That's what the whole thing was. And we had this amazing like um, meeting at the Four Seasons in Vancouver. And uh, unfortunately, I'm a smoker. I started smoking again. Um, when my niece passed away, it was like, okay, I'm either going to drink or I'm going to smoke. So I'll smoke. Um, and I was going for a cigarette on our break and, and me and my friend were going down the elevator and um, he, he's like, oh my God, there's Whoopi Goldberg. And I was like, no, that's not her. And he's like, I can tell that's her. I'm going to talk to her and or something like that. And then he goes down the escalator really fast and they intersect and th- she's talking to them. She's talking to him. And then out of that, I, I end up coming down and she's like, would you like a picture too? And I'm like, sure. So I take a picture with her. And, um, and then she, she tells us that she was there filming and that she was looking for some rain boots because, you know, she said, I came to Vancouver of all places without rain here. She says, I, I'm trying to find the smell that's in the building. Um, and my friend says, oh, we're smudging upstairs. Do you want to join us? And she's like, sure. So I'm standing at the bottom of this of, of the escalator and they're going up and, and she's going to go to this room that we're doing ceremonies in. Like with Bing Goldberg. And we're like, okay. So he turns around and looks at me. So I jump on the elevator and we go. And we have this amazing interaction with her for, I don't know, about an hour and a half. She smudged. We talked about creation stories. And um, and then at the my friend went to go get his drum because he's a drummer and and um and she looks right at me and she says so what do you do and so i told her i said oh i'm i i'm an advocate for mmwg and we had that kind of interaction and then she says well you know i don't think that that people meet by chance i think that that every interaction that you have it's meant for a reason and she said in yours i i must have been meant to meet you because i want to highlight missing and murdered women in the United States and how we need to highlight that Native American women are going missing at a high rate and we need to start caring about that. And then she, she says, let's talk as soon as we, when we're done this. So going and, you know, at the end of it, she calls me over and she hands me a piece of paper and it's got like phone numbers, emails and all that on it. And um, I was like, okay, I need to give her a gift. And I gave her this red dress medallion, jingle dress medallion. And after that weekend, all of a sudden my phone started going off on Monday morning. And I was like, what's going on? And everybody's like, she's wearing your medallion on the view. And I was like, what? And then she actually didn't talk about it that day. People were noticing, like, I, like they were just, it was all over social media that Whoopi Goldberg was wearing, a, we call them dallies. And she's wearing a red jingle dress one. And, um, but the very next day she wore it again. And then she talked about what it meant. And, you know, that small interaction at the Four Seasons in Vancouver raised so much awareness just from, from that one gift of giving to her. I've actually talked to her. I thought she couldn't have actually given me her real phone number. 
and she did. <laughs> so I, I actually got to talk to her on the phone and, um, and her assistant as well. You know, uh, I was shocked the day that she called me. I was, I was telling my husband, I said, oh, my God, it's from New Jersey. Like, and I said, maybe it's Whoopi. And he's like, don't be silly. It's not going to call you. And it was. <laughs> so, you know, it's all of those little things that, that you know, that, that, that we've always been taught, you know, that gift of giving. Um, you know, that small interaction and that small gift of giving her that medallion raised so much awareness for MMIWG um, that it, it was just an unbelievable series of events that happened. Um, and I'm grateful for that. You know, I, I truly believe that, that that all of these little tiny things that happened to me happened for a reason. Um, and, and I run with it. I don't question it anymore. You know, um, I kind of got overwhelmed with the grief boxes. I'm not going to lie. I thought that it was just kind of like, oh, you know, community. And then I'm getting emails from, from all over Canada, uh, people wanting to know. So I've been giving advice on how to get them started in your own community. Um, and I think that, that that's, like you said, you know, like um, it's accidental, but not. Yes, yes. Wow, thank you for sharing that. That's a <laughs> nice tidbit that I wasn't anticipating, that's for sure. <laughs> you know what? And she's just as lovely. Yeah, she uh, has that spirit. You can feel it like she coming really like, whenever she's on TV, you can feel that. She's People, real. Yeah, she is. You she's know, a true, um, beautiful person that has such drive and such passion with what she does. Yeah. And, and you can see it. It resonates. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a good story. I like yeah, it. I was yeah. like, what is going on here? <laughs> yes, exactly. I myself is getting my familiarity with types of acronyms that are correlating to the persons of color, indigenous groups and communities. If I was completely new to it and novice and understanding what MMIWGR and MMIP and there's MMIM, MMIM, there's so many acronyms and they're all should be appreciated and understood from a perspective of what those acronyms really entail. And um, I started finding out a little bit more about the MMIWG2R and I'm like, Wow, that's a mouthful within itself. And <laughs> I haven't only I haven't even had coffee. So but I would love to have you share a little bit about, I mean, you you identified your journey. And I'm yes. so blessed that you had let your path and and I believe your ancestors guide you in the proper direction. But could you tell if I was just completely novice to the the meanings and the understanding and the comprehension of what that is. So um, there, there's another acronym, MMIWGT2S, uh, which is Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women and Girls Transgender Two-Spirit. Oh. Um, there's also some other acronyms that are attached to it, which is there's QQ, which are queer and questioning. Um, and I think the, the MMIM, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Men. Yes. Um, I think that that um, as we've traveled along this journey um, with families over all of these years, you know, um, with the Stolen Sisters Report, the National Inquiry, 
um, even the TRC, that as we've traveled along this journey and we need to become more and more um, welcoming and opening and make sure that we include all of the, the different um, people, how they identify themselves. And it's, it's a respectful way to do it. And if we have to add 10 more acronyms to it, then we will. You know, it's just the respectful and right thing to do. The most common one is MMIWGT2S, which is which is what I just told you, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls, transgender, two-spirit. Um, and, you know, I, I don't think that we need to delve into what those are. I mean, most people know. And um, I, I do appreciate that all of the, the acronyms and the people that identify as, as a woman um, are, are included. It's yeah. important. I find that anybody that would have a problem with that is just not worth your time. You know, um, I think that people are people. And however you choose to identify yourself is none of my business. I appreciate the many, many people that have spoken out and made sure that those changes were being made so that they were inclusive of all people that identify as a woman. Um, so that being said there, it's constantly evolving. It's constantly changing. And that's a good thing because you know what? We evolve, humans evolve. And the, the fact that, that we can just roll with it and not question it and just add it. That that's the most important piece and aspect of being supportive of MMIWG, T2S, QQI. There's so many, and I'm so grateful that uh, the many people who spoke out, um, the many advocates that said, hey, you know what? Like we should include this because mm -hmm. it's right. And um, so I hope that answered your question. Yeah, it did. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Um, it, it constantly evolves because it used to only be MMIWG. Right, right. Like, exactly. And I've yeah. seen it in so many ways. And I wanted to kind of roll that into particular your position. How does those two correlate with each other? I think that as an Indigenous organization, um, such as the IRSSS, that when you take into account all of the experience, you know, like even sex trafficking and things like that, that our people are experiencing, um, that they all boil down to the residential school system, um, even the welfare system that was designed mm -hmm. to, to keep us in that state of needing help. You know, um, that it, it just makes sense that the Indian Residential School Survivor Society would have that branch of MMIWG, um, that because it, it's, an, it's an actual result of, of the experiences that our ancestors have had at residential schools, the trauma mm -hmm. that we pass down to our children and then pass down to our grandchildren and then pass them down to our great-grandchildren all encompass and are part of, the, of, of a lot of the issues that um, Indigenous women in Canada face. And so it's they're, they're hand in hand, you know, um, and for for the organization to to have that, that branch of MMIWG, I mean, we have the most amazing staff ever that work for the IRSSS, um, elders and support people. We have the MMIWG, we have youth justice. Um, all of those things are actually a result of residential schools. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to recognize that, that every single 
issue, most of them, that Indigenous people face in Canada and, and around the world are, mm-hmm. are a result of, of what occurred here in this, in this land called Canada, right? So it's, it's really important that, that organizations like the IRSSS are part of, the, of that healing journey and that support for MLIWGT2S. I've been asked many times like, well, how? How is that connected? And you know, let's let's take um, let's just have an example that you know a parent goes to residential school. They're taken from their parents for ten years. Mm-hmm. You know, they haven't had that family connection, that attachment to those traditional values and ceremonies that that many of us that are exposed to are taken. Language, you know, you show up back home after 10 years and you can't communicate with your mom anymore because they only speak Cree. You now speak English. Um, and, and it's that whole dynamic of the breakdown of that family structure and cycle that, that occurred. So then daughter now becomes a mother, doesn't know how to be a mother, has an idea, but is so filled with trauma from the experience that, that we pass that trauma down. You know, whether it's we fall into addictions or we're violent because, you know, um, hurt people hurt people. Mm-hmm. And um, there's also that whole aspect of being unable to provide for yourself. The, the poverty that, that most Indigenous people live in um, puts us at a disadvantage when we're trying to live even within the poverty line where mom's taking two jobs. One is walking at home in the middle of the night, not being able to be there for her children to read those books because mom has two jobs. It, it's, it takes a lot to actually think about all of the aspects that, that fall in and create that higher risk of going missing or murdered. Mm-hmm. You know, um, Indigenous women are three to five times more likely to go missing or murdered than any other race. Um, and those are, are real. And um, I think that once you take your mind and you start to think about all of the, the factors that play into why, then you would understand it isn't because, you know, so-and-so just likes to party and get drunk. You don't know what so-and-so went through. We don't know what anybody goes through. That's their own life experience. And if we don't start having empathy and understanding for that, we're heading in a really dark place again, you know, um, especially with, with all of the children that are being found right now, mm-hmm. that ugliness is coming back from people that are saying, well, it's not even bodies. They never even confirmed that. Why are you guys still thinking about that? Those are over and done with the church is never meant to do that. That was individual people. You know what, mm-hmm. if the churches if the churches wanted to do the right thing, they would release the information that communities need. Oh gosh. Yeah. And they should be held accountable. Yeah. You know, um, that's a fact, but if, when you really think about it in a broad, in a broader sense that organizations like the IRS assess have to, somebody has to raise that awareness. Somebody has to, to bring up that support Somebody has to try 
And, um, and I have to say that I have never seen or been part of an organization that tries harder than the IRSSS, you know, fielding phone calls from even non-Indigenous people. Mm-hmm. Um, I've talked to friends that are white and they were like, I'm in such grief right now over this, over finding all of these children. And I feel like I don't have a right to grieve. And, you know, I, I've said my reply has been, you do have a right to grieve because that's the human part of you. The human aspect can't ignore that children were murdered and it was allowed through the government and the churches. I mean, there's no way that that many kids could, could be killed or die without people knowing. So, and I've also told them that you also are grieving this notion that you had of Canada being this really wonderful country. Yeah. The perception and, and, that uh, yeah. U.S. You, as a U.S. citizen, the, the dark perception of, of uh, saying that, oh, Canada, my gosh, they have such a great history. You never hear anything brutal or traumatic in, in how they treat others there. Like, oh, I cannot wait to go and live up there. And that was my whole thought process because they don't teach you any of the things. And I, it has a lot to do with the critical race theory situation that's going on here in, this, in the U.S. where they are banning books and they're disallowing students mm-hmm. to learn about the actual history, the true history, not the colonistical vision that they fabricated to make it sound like they are heroes to every story and they're going to kill every minority because they're the bad people, the savages. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's just horrific lie and the constant lies just kind of just pile up and pile up and keep mm-hmm. going. You can't even look over them anymore because the wall is so high, full of lies. Yeah. Frontal peripheral is nothing but this fabrication of yeah. we're the bad people because we're minorities and all, oh, you know, savages and we're um, untrainable where uh, we can never become uh, true humans because we're always considered uh, two thirds of a human in some types in in the laws that were done for blacks and indigenous and Asian and I mean we can just count off on how they've just treated us with such cruelty and dehumanizing us in the process mm-hmm. of stripping our history and our heritage and I learned so much today I learned about the history behind the Indian Settlement Act, the Truth and Reconciliation Act, and how the how it was identified through the the IRSSA in 1996, um, and then just li- looking up the history information from your your website from the IRSSS about the Aboriginal Day school class mm-hmm. actions that you guys are trying to band together and take action since August of 2012 to to expand on not just residential school residents, but also day scholars, because even though they were there for, you know, whatever school hours were from eight to four, and they go home after that, they are still affected by it because they got to 
be in that type of environment that was just toxic and negative and it it seeps into your soul and your spirit that you take it home with you and you start questioning about your heritage and your, your humanity because you're being fed other information that you are not good right. enough. You're, you're not supposed to look like that. You're not supposed to talk like this. Here, let's cut your hair. Let's make you more civilized based on what yeah. our perception is of what a civilized, um, you know, I think the process they said is taking the Indian out of the child. And I'm like, just the trauma is just endless, yeah. endless, endless. Like one of the things that I was like, just completely flabbergasted on how that they identify that in the uh, of 1996, they identified through the IRSSA um, that there was approximately 150,000 children who were inflicted by over a time frame between 1879 and 1997. And um, through another source that I gone through, it was over 150,000 children Um, in Canada. And this is just Canada alone operated 139 federal schools. We'll just quotate on the school part because that's completely the fabrication of uh, what they made it look like, which is completely not true. Um, But yeah, (laughs) I just like my mind was blown away on how they just found a way to make Mm -hmm. it sugarcoat it. The history of this traumatizing and brutalizing and and murdering. As you can see how important that, that TRC was. Yeah. Where, where the, the survivors of those schools finally got to tell the truth. Mm-hmm. you know, and, and then, then to, to further it. So the, the findings that Kamloops, you know, that was, see, we weren't lying. Mm-hmm. This happened. You know, I can't imagine being a child and being asked to dig a grave for my schoolmate. I can't imagine being a child in a school that had to throw a baby in a, in, in a furnace um, and, and I think the big thing about when, when you're talking about day schools, it's still removing and forcing somebody to go somewhere that they don't want to go to mm-hmm. um, and using, you know, tactics to force parents to do that. It's just so atrocious that you can't even fathom it. You know, um, I had um, my mother-in-law was taken to a day school um, and I think, I don't know, she wasn't there for very long. Like, I, I, I want to say she wasn't even there for a couple of days. And then when they did the whole, um, you know, they were, they were doing the settlements and things. And she's like, yeah, but you know what? I, I didn't experience um, real trauma. And I said, well, being taken away from your home is pretty traumatic, you know? Um, and it's just that idea of being removed from your security and your love. And um especially, you know, with Indigenous communities and families and the way that the old way where we used to to be with our children and, and raise them, you know, all the aunties and uncles, you know, they, they were all involved. And to break that dynamic, I can't imagine what it was like to be on the reserve during these times and there's no kids. Mm. All the kids are gone. Like, it's unfathomable. So, you know... Um, I'm really glad that our organization has offered to help survivors 
and of, of day schools as well with application forms and making sure that we try to, to outreach as many people as we can to, to get this started for them. My amazing coworkers who work nonstop doing those applications and speaking with, with children who had to attend day schools. Um, it's just, you know, the work that is being done is incredible. And I, I couldn't be more proud of the team that I'm part of and the work that we're doing. This will have a real lasting impact on generations, you know, trying to break a cycle with workshops on healing and grief, workshops on um, trauma, workshops on traditional crafts that may have been lost prior. So all of those things are, are changing the dynamic for the future. And, uh, and I'm pleased to be part of that. You know, I, I couldn't have found a more perfect place in this world than, than doing what I do. Yes. I am so happy to meet you. I have four other questions for you, but I'm just going to just chat it up a second because um, if I feel so determined just talking with you, I just cannot wait to the listeners hear about your organization and what you've done question that I wanted to ask of you. You've, you've mentioned it in a kind of like in the mid to the beginning of our conversation that you were, you were involved as a keynote for Amnesty International. And I believe in a, Amnesty International is a USA is a Nobel Prize winning organization. Oh my gosh. Wow. And then as well as the British Columbia Assembly of First Nations, which I believe has their mission is to right, find the right of the governance for BC's First Nation or Assembly of First Nations. Now, can you share a bit of, of the, your mission or speech that you had a, um, as a keynote to the audience? Just, just a tidbit because my eyes are probably sparkling right now <laughs> with like, you know, admiration, but just... <laughs> Don't mind my me. friends, my <laughs> friends at Amnesty, um, I have I have three in particular, Alex Neve, who used to be the secretary general of Amnesty, used to run Amnesty Canada, um, and my dear friend Jackie Hansen, and my other dear friend Craig Benjamin. Um, they actually came down. I, I met them actually at uh, at the Parliament Hill during a Sisters and Spirit vigil, and they heard me speak, and they. I can't even remember how they messaged me, but they said, can we come and see you at your hotel? We'd like to talk with you. And I was like, sure. So they showed up the next morning and we had coffee and it was lovely. And they said, you know, we'd like to, we'd like to do, um, possibly think about doing a report on, on your region and the site C dam that is being built. Um, and the, and the heavy resource extraction that occurs in your area mm. and, and see if there's a correlation of violence and um, so really that report just kind of highlights the, the mitigating factors that, that can lead into our women and our men and our communities being more vulnerable, such as, you know, when you have a, a, when you have a, a, a community that you live in that has a large ghost population that we call it, that come to work in the winter at these camps, you know, upwards of three to 4,000 people coming into the community, that causes prices to, to rise for food for housing, you know, the hospitals are jammed up. Um, all of those kind of community resources start to get thinned hmm. for the people that live there. 
Um, and you know, when, when you're, when you're trying to rent a, a one bedroom shack and it's $1,200, no, you can't. Right. Um, and so sometimes, sometimes people put themselves in vulnerable positions, mm-hmm. you know, situations. So what my meeting with Amnesty was really that, um, and it, we did a couple of years of research, traveling to communities, doing this work. And then, um, and then I was invited to do the keynote. And I have to say, I, I really, I'm really glad that you, that you actually asked about that keynote because um, the keynote was all about heart, really, um, heart work. And the, really, the, I'm trying to find the right word about, to say about the, the missing and murdered women in the region. Many of them were my friends, mm. close friends that I hung out with, played cards with, partied with. Um, so it was really tough to, to, it's really hard to speak about that in this region without it being here because those were my friends. They were actual people that were loved, fabulous mothers, fabulous women that were vulnerable. And so when I did the keynote, that's really what we talked about was, um, was the, the, amazing, the amazing women that they were, that they are. Um, the fact that when our women go missing, Whoopi Goldberg actually said, imagine being an indigenous or native American woman and those families have to go search themselves mm. for their loved ones. We don't have communities that come out in droves to help us look for our Monas or our Denny's or, you know, Sandra's. We don't have that huge community support that happens. There was a particular um, case here in Fort St. John where a young woman went missing and the community went crazy to help. They couldn't help enough. And we had several women prior to that that had been missing or had been found murdered. And one of the family members messaged me and she said, why didn't they care when she went missing? Why didn't they help pay for her billboard? And how do I answer that? Except for with the truth. Mm-hmm. It's because they were indigenous. And there's no other, there's no other way to put it. So when you have to, when you when you're trying to do this work and you're and you're working with families in such turmoil and trauma over, over your daughter being missing, or your mother, or your sister, or your aunt, or your niece. You know, we have to be very mindful. So when when I when I do keynotes, I usually actually speak that way. That's the truth. You need to hear it, even if it's going to smack you right in the face. That's true facts for families across Canada and North America. When our loved ones go missing, very little is done about it. That isn't somebody from an Indigenous community leading the way. Honestly, it should be that way. We need to lead the way. Um, so that part, it, it, it would just be nice that if, if the support was there as if it were a non-Indigenous woman mm-hmm. or, or man. And it isn't. Not yet. Um, so it's important that when you have these opportunities to speak at events like that, that 
that you put that out there. You know, um, I've, uh, I have to say at that, at that particular keynote, I met uh, a man there and his name was, um, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher his name. Angel Cologne, I think. He spent seven years in a prison with no trial. He was, um, he was finally, they advocated enough that he was released and he was the other keynote. Oh, wow. And he, I learned so much at that, at that event. Um, because despite all of the pain and the actual physical pain um, that he endured, he still was the most pleasant, loving, amazing, kind, empathetic, and grateful human being I've ever met in my life. And I, I absolutely love him. Uh, we chat now and then. He has a papaya farm uh, where he's from. And, um, and he had, we had this moment there and everybody there seen it. Um, and he was speaking in his language and he looked at me and he was talking. And obviously I know he was saying something to me. And, um, and afterwards I found his interpreter, his inter that's how you say it, right? Interpreter? interpreter <laughs> interpreter and um and she told me his message was that those there's always going to be trials this is the gist of it there's always going to be heartache trials tribulations oh, there's always going to be that in your life but don't let those kings and queens die for nothing mm. do that good work and continue it that is powerful. and that was that was his message to me um, I, I can't wait for the day that I, that I get to see him again in this lifetime. Um, we do chat once in a while on messenger. Thank goodness for the translator. Um, but that was, I, I'm really happy that you brought that up because that is, is probably one of the highlights of my life was, uh, was meeting him and we hugged and I gave him a sterling silver carved bracelet, uh, as a gift. I had it on. And I was just like, I have to give him something just like I did with Whoopi. I'm like, I have to give you something. And I took it off and, and he was just staring at it. And it was so beautiful. There was eagles carved on it. And, um, but that was, that was really probably one of my most memorable moments. Um, with, the, with the AFN, the, the BC Assembly of First Nations, uh, when we had the, the gathering, it was the same message that um, we need to start holding accountable companies um, that are wreaking havoc in our communities. Um, we, we know the factors that play into why we go missing or, or murdered. We need to start mitigating that. And here's the solutions. It isn't just, you know, here's, here's what's wrong. Let's further that. And, and here's some ways that you can mitigate that and fix it or try to lessen the impacts that you have in communities. And if you're a company or you're an organization that knows that and you still aren't doing anything about it, shame on you. Mm -hmm. Shame on you. Allowing, you know, all kinds of transient workers to come into communities and prey on, on young girls and men. Shame on you. You know, um, 
there, there's so many things that we, that we know and that we have learned. And the big, the worst thing for me is, is when, when people know better and they don't do better, mm-hmm. you know, um, it's much like, you know, the child that keeps on, on, you know, hurting themselves, jumping off the couch, you know, that that's going to hurt, but you keep on doing it, learn your lesson. And, and unfortunately the lessons that, that are learned here are people are going missing. People are being murdered. People are being assaulted and you still aren't going to do anything about it. You still aren't going to come into my community and try and keep my community safe. Shame on you. Mm. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast because if um, my goal is to have those, the persons of color community and their voices heard because mm-hmm. like you, you've strongly had to identified my point that um, their voices are not being heard when their brothers and sisters, their children, the two spirits, the relatives that are involved in a lost loved one yeah. are not being heard. That's my drive. That's my passion for this podcast. And I will be talking. I'm hoping I get to talk with families who want to voice out the story of their lost loved ones because it needs to be heard. And it and we're no longer going to accept people turning their heads and saying, oh, that's just that one spot over there that has nothing to do with me. My goal is to, to be, you know, for the Canada and U.S. area, it's going to hit everybody. And it ain't, yeah. ain't going to be pretty because that's that's how we need to give it to them. You yeah. know, this is not sugarcoating anymore. We're not doing that white lies and um oh it's just it's just over there and i don't live in texas well it happens in texas and oklahoma and any other other states it's real it's true and we have proof you know with the the rediscovering you know the unclaimed and um recovering of our children in canada i mean they're recovering um children that are here in the States because the truth is coming out. Yeah. It's finally coming out and people are able to open their eyes and accept it and do something yeah. about it. So that's my drive. <laughs> I'm just so excited. Cause I'm like, Oh, you're my first one. And I'm like, this is going to just take off and soar. I'm so excited because I yeah. want to get the word out there. This is, this is everyone's problem. It's not just yeah. one we're humans we're a community yeah you know Um, we're in this together and and we have to care about each other mm -hmm. we have to care we have to care enough that that when my friend's child goes missing it's like my child's going missing right and I need to do what I can you know it's it's that important Mm -hmm. and it's uh it's that finding that empathy in in humankind again like that, you know, um, I had, I went to this, um, to this kind of, wasn't really a workshop, wasn't, wasn't even really a presentation. It was, it's, uh, his name's Ryan McMahon. And he said um, about the community work and that, and, um, that we need the strong hearts to the front. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to take. Strong hearts to the front. Yes. And, um, and, and we need more of them, mm-hmm. quite frankly. So. Well, I hope I'm able to join hands, hopefully soon. I mean, it's a, it's a journey for me. Um, 
I cry a lot. <laughs> I don't know why, yeah. but it, it really, it does. It affects me in everything. Um, yeah. One of these days, my heart will be strong enough to hold hands with the other strong hearted people in the front. So that's my yeah. goal. <laughs> I think that, I think that, you know, with your podcast, um, this is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, one, one, one of the biggest things that you can do as a human being is give voice mm-hmm. to someone. Um, a lot of times, you know, when they have the TRC, they've never, ever spoken about it. They've never, ever told their story, their, their truth until then. And the fact that, you know, you have taken on to, to give voice to, to people that haven't had that opportunity is huge. So you're one of the strong hearts to be front. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. Thank you. Cause I, I needed this, like I needed inspiration as well. Um, when it comes to, cause I just, I have that, uh, imposter syndrome situation that goes on. I'm like enough, enough. It, you're, you're on the yeah. right path. Stop doing yeah. that to yourself. Stop sabotaging. Yeah. There's a reason why you're going through all of this. And yeah. I mean, I have a story of my own, um, in regards to exploitation and rape mm-hmm. and, kidnapping and all that personally um I've gone yeah. through that so I I have a deep spot for all the people that I talk to and it still affects me like as if it happened yesterday yeah um but I have yeah. three three more questions um Connie um I I let I had the big question out there uh that was a, the question in regards to your keynoting um but if you could, if you were able to ask your future self or tell your young self one thing, what would you say or ask? Um, I would actually tell my young self uh, that you are enough and you are worthy. You know, um, I experienced a lot of trauma. Um, when I was young, um, you know, predators uh, at a very young age. And it it actually really shaped my childhood in such a harmful way. Um, I'm so grateful that that I had the the kind of parents that I did. Um, But, you know, when you when you go through that kind of, of, of experience that you often find fault in yourself. I spent a lot of my childhood in my young teenage years covering up wearing huge bulky clothes, like just not wanting to be seen. I want to blend into that wall. And then when I drank, I could talk. I could be me. I was loud. I was pushy. And, um, and I really delved into addictions. And it was actually, it, it's actually a result of that, you know, of, of what I experienced and the way that I felt about myself, promiscuous, you know, wanting to be loved, wanting to be accepted um, as an Indigenous woman, you know, um, and as a person of color, any person of color, you know what that's like to want to be accepted and to know that, you know what, our skin is different. And yeah, we are different but my different isn't any less than your different. And I spent a lot of time really trying to reconcile that 
um, through being overly generous, being a yes person, even when I wanted to say no. I still am kind of a bit of a yes person. I'm not going to lie. I, I have, if somebody's asked me for something that I can readily do, um, you know, something as simple as can we talk for an hour or two, I do it. You know, if I'm asked to help fundraise, I do it um, because I can, you know, and it doesn't take that much effort for me at this point in my life. Mm-hmm. I would tell my young self that, you know what, you are destined for something huge. And, uh, and I know that, you know, um, my, my husband always teased me, he says, Mike, your head is so huge, <laughs> you know? And I said, that's confidence. Mm-hmm. I am so ridiculously confident that I think it annoys people, <laughs> but I, I do believe that, that the, the minute that I was born, even before then my life was planned out. I was meant to experience the rape, the sexual assault, the abuse, the addiction. Addiction. And then I'm also meant to experience all the good stuff, mm-hmm. you know, owning a home, fighting hard for my children, having, having this loving and supporting circle of friends that lift me up when I, when I'm not able to lift myself up. And I, I do, I do know that, you know, right from when I was young, when my dad used to bring homeless people to our house and say, make them a sandwich cook for them, make them a tea. And then he would send them on our way that, that my parents guided me and all my siblings to be this way. And, you know, lots of times people have said to me, like, why do you even bother? Why do you try and help that person? They're not. And you know what? It's because that's the way I was raised Mm -hmm. that I have to at least make an effort to show you that you're worthy too. Right. And, um, and that's the biggest thing for me, you know, like my dad, man, his birthday, his birthday will be coming up soon. And, uh, and, and I always have this real deep ugh, in my heart. Um, and, and he has guided every single thing that I have done in my life. That's good. Everything. And my mother, my mother's amazing. She just turned 91. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. She's like four foot four maybe or something she's she's quite short and she's quite tiny but uh, she just turned 91 and we celebrated her birthday and I often I often always talk about my dad he's he's my my greatest loss um besides my my yeah he's my greatest loss and uh and I often I often forget about the queen in my life uh and and the what she has gone through to give me a good life and um, so I just wanted to put that out there about my mama too. Yeah, well, happy belated for her. Yeah, she, <laughs> even though she's small, she can pack a powerful, powerful uh, with anything. I mean, uh, um, they have more than a dozen kids. <laughs> oh my god! Well, <laughs> I have I have a huge family. Props to her. My gosh. Yeah. <laughs> and and you know what? They they raised us. All. Yeah. Wow. You know, like we had a we had a home. We lived right in in town. My dad bought a house. And, uh, and we had, we had a good life despite all the hardships and and the pain, because I think that, that, you know, no one, no one is free from, from experiencing pain. Some are, some are a little bit more traumatic than others, but, you know, to say, well, I had a bad life because my parents, no, no, you know, you had a bad life maybe because somebody is 
jerk and traumatized predators that are out there. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I, I can't put any blame on my addictions on anybody but me, you know. Um, and that's that whole part of, of the residential school intergenerational trauma where I wasn't taught about those traditional teachings of healing. They were lost. Uh, um, even years later, I, I do now recall, I never thought that my mom and dad had like that traditional knowledge. But now as I, as I got older, I was like, I remember seeing sweet grass on the counter or fungus over here or bear grease over there. Um, my grandfather was, was an amazing lodge keeper um, and drowned. And, you know, I, I know that I have that blood memory in me. I have that good medicine. And, and I try to use it now, you know, by, by being there and by being kind and generous. Um, it's funny because every time I, I give something big away, within days, it's right back at my front door. It's crazy. It just happened to me twice in a row. And I was like, what the heck? Because I was like, oh, I don't want to give this away, but I'm going to. And, and I gave away a really special, special medicine bag to me, uh-huh. um, to a youth that that I said, I want this, I want you to have this because I think it's going to keep you strong as he's battling through his own, his own addictions. And um, literally the next day I got a package in the mail and it was from Christy Belcourt and it was a, it was a medicine bag. Wow. wow. (laughs) It's like, yeah, it it happens like that for me. It's just crazy. Well, I um, mean, it it happens to you because you you do is humble and you don't, you don't, don't anticipate it to be returned. That's, that's passion. That's being humble. Yeah. That's doing it with your heart. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's so <laughs> cool. So cool. Oh, I'm sorry to, to cut you off. Were you? No, I'm done. No. Oh, okay. I was like, should I pull on the, on the rope a little bit more? And yank yeah. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> um, I think I have maybe one more question because okay. I do have another person. I believe she's also Cree. Um, I'll be meeting with her in about 30 minutes. Um, I think Tell her the tensei. Say again. Tensei. 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 Yeah. Um, I learned from, Hello. I learned from a proverb from my previous guest on, an, on another um, podcast. She was saying, um, E to yeyati, which I believe is um, like within you or God is within you or you are within yourself or within God or something like that. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to use that. Um, But yeah, I will. I'll try to you might want to type it out for me. So I I don't want to butcher it. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. Um, I don't speak fluent Spanish but that's actually my supposed to be my native tongue um but yeah I love learning languages I just embrace it yeah you know what we were I I actually can understand Cree um I can completely understand it uh but I can't speak it and my mom spoke almost only exclusively Cree in our household and my dad almost only spoke English <laughs> oh, wow. so yeah yeah uh it's funny because i'll go to ceremonies and things and and they'll be talking in Cree, and then they'll be they'll they'll turn to me and they'll start to say it in english and i'm like no i, I understand what you 
said, I'm like, oh, so you can speak Cree? Well, no, <laughs> but I can understand you. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's a such different... a weird dynamic to have. Like... Well, yeah, it happens with, with me as well. I can understand it. I can read it. I can, my tongue is perfect for pronunciation, but I can't do conversational conversational yeah. language that's yeah. different levels of understanding a language so that's yeah. when I'm like I don't know how to say that like <laughs> all I know is like where's the bathroom now I'm good you know <laughs> yeah, yeah. most important things so. yeah very important <laughs> the last question is um do you have any upcoming events that you'd like to share um I'm actually I'm the president of the spirit of the peace power society and um, after two long years, we are planning a powwow oh, in the dish- yes. in Taylor, BC. Yeah, it's been it's been quite uh, a journey of of not having ceremony for so long. You know, having a having a ninety year old mother, um, we we were really mindful not to do those kinds of things and put ourselves at risk and not possibly not be able to see our mother. So I have so missed sweat lodges and ground dances and powwows. I myself am a jingle dancer and a traditional dancer. My son is a grass dancer. And I'm so looking forward to hosting a powwow here in our region. Um, I'm also the MC for um, Canada Day. You know what, in the spirit of reconciliation um, in my community of Mm -hmm. Fort St. John, I feel it's important to show up. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not something that I celebrate. I used to before um, before I became and started actively decolonizing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? I, I am going to I'm going to help them out, and hopefully, I'll have that opportunity to to teach some some facts about what you're actually celebrating. Mm-hmm. Um, genocide. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, but you know what? I, I have a recently um, formed. Uh, new relationship with the mayor. Um, I, I appreciate that she is wanting to make sure that um, that they give voice to the indigenous people of this territory and this community. Um, they actually, for the first time ever, have flown the Treaty Eight flag now alongside the city and the province and the, and the federal flag, um, which had never been done before. So I appreciate that. Um, I actually had a, a 215 vigil here in my community um, that was for um, in memory and honor of the 215 uh, children that were found in Kamloops. Um, and she came and spoke and, and I really loved what she had to say. She said, you know what, if you are an organization in this community and you are not actively trying to reconcile and work towards reconciliation, then you are not welcome to our funding. Um, I'm hoping that she was actually meaning specifically the churches without actually saying it. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's appreciated, you know, and I think that it's an opportunity for me to just give voice on that day of, of what that day actually really means. Um, I don't know if they're expecting that, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to be gentle. Okay. But okay. I'm also going to be mindful. I'm also going to be mindful. Um, there's so many things that, that I, that, I'll tell you this, and this is the truth, that some of the greatest things that I've ever decided to do, I've thought about them at two o'clock in the morning when I'm folding laundry <laughs> in a quiet space in my own brain. It doesn't ever shut off. It really doesn't. I'm always thinking of what more can I, what, what can I do next? And I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. 
I feel like I was always set up to do this kind of work always, you know, with my dad and um, just the way he raised us. So it's, uh, it's kind of, it doesn't feel like, um, like it's a it really doesn't feel like I do much. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Like when you have found something that you love to do and you actually can, can earn a living by it. I mean, that's the greatest gift of all. I feel like my work is not, my job is not really a job, you know, it's because I was doing it prior um, just as a volunteer. And then I found a, a, a job with it. So <laughs> I've been very lucky when people have a loved one that, that has passed on. We have these boxes that have candle, like really self-care chocolate, candles, journals, um, so that people, and they're free. There's gift cards in them as well. And it's just to show people that, you know what, we, we care and we're here and uh, we see you. So I'm, I'm finishing up uh, a few more of those so that in case they go all go while I'm gone, they're, they're available. So awesome. Awesome. <laughs> yeah. Now, and I, I did read up on that, the, the idea of having grief boxes, just kind of like a, let the person know that um, they are not alone. This is a community. This is a, a gathering of brothers and sisters coming together and saying that we are there to comfort and support you. Even though we're, we're miles and miles away, this grief box kind of draws them closer. And, um, and I think you even mentioned in your, some of the, the information that I was reading up on the grief boxes is that your intention is, is trying to lessen the, the pain and the depression that a lot of people fall into feeling yeah. as if that they are the only ones that are grieving or going through the process of grieving. And so kind of drawing that out and um, making the, the healing process a little bit easier for someone who's going through that. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. You know, just for myself, like I have, I have, um, several siblings that have passed away, my my father and my my grandparents, and I have a huge huge family. I'll, I'll let you know that. <laughs> um, and you know, one of the hardest things um, to do sometimes when you're going through that grieving process is to get out of bed. Mm -hmm. You know, you forget to eat, you forget to take care of yourself, and so the idea behind that was here. Here's a gift from people you don't even know to let you know that you know what we're here and we support you and um here's a small token of that care and um you know i think that i didn't realize that it would take off as big as it did i got the actually idea because a friend of mine like when when something happens in the community here i'm often asked to help cook or to do arrange like a food train or um, provide traditional medicine um and you know uh we there was a young lady that was that had passed on just before Christmas. And I, at, at that point, I actually wanted to do it then. Um, and, but you know, it's Christmas, I have kids and it was just, it was, it was just a really busy time for me. So um, the idea just uh, hopped off after I received an indigenous box. Uh, they're, they're this product that uh, you can purchase seasonal or just a, a one-off. And it has all of these uh, amazing indigenous uh, gifts in it. So you can order it and it has like, you know, toques and books. And so the idea of just kind of doing something for self-care that was that was free to community members, um, non-Indigenous and Indigenous, I didn't want to put that on it. And um, 
so that's how that idea came and and I I commented I posted that on my social media and I immediately had like people dropping off homemade bath bombs um my friend makes has a chocolate shop and so she made um, chocolate bags like it was it's just incredible the amount of the amount that the community will pull in if somebody kind of heads it up right you know everybody's like I would love to do something like that how do I and it's just like you know what 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 brings you care what brings you comfort in in those times and for me it's candles in a bath writing my thoughts down I often just post them on social media um chocolate food um and just those those lovely things you know a nice coffee or a cup of tea and all of those things are included in it um nice yeah and you know um we've actually are going to one put it one more further and we're going to include children um so we're gonna we're gonna call them a hug in a backpack this one's called a hug in a box and it, it actually i was triggered the other day when uh I was asked about it by a local organization and um, it reminded me of my nephew. Um, when my father passed away, our family fell apart, you know, like that was our matriarch. He was everything, even thinking about it now. And it's been over 16 years since my father has passed away and it feels like yesterday still. Mm-hmm. So, you know, that, that grief doesn't ever really go away. And um, I was talking with my nephew about it and he said, you know, when, when Muslim passed away, everybody forgot about us. You know, we were all so wrapped up in our own grief that we forgot about the kids, the grandkids that were left. You know, often he was, he was the father figure. Um, and, you know, he, he was everything to all of us. And, and he, he reminded me of that. So um, when my son had lost a, lost a grandfather figure in his life, this teacher gave him a book on grief that was, he was only four at the time. And she really um, helped him work through that grief. Uh, And so that's how the idea came about from Alma Williams and my nephew, Joe Gray eyes, who happens to be my dad's namesake, that we can't forget about kids. We can't forget about our kids. Like if we're grieving as heavily as we are, imagine how they're trying to cope. Oh yeah. So if this local organization messaged me and they said, you know, we have a ton of kids books on grief and we'd like to we'd like to start something with you. So that's also coming in the works. And I'm, I'm very, I'm very proud of that one. We're going to include candy and games, a teddy bear, um, a book on grief. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm really, that that's probably what I'm most looking forward to is, yeah. is the children, you know, um, it's even like, you know, the, the podcast is, you know, MMIWG and the work in and around that. And, um, all of that ties in, you know, when when we have when we have all of our ancestors that have attended residential schools and we really learn to like just hang on to those feelings and carry that pain. And so all of that, like along with the grief boxes, they all tie into each other on this journey of healing, which uh, which we desperately need. You know, people of color, I often I often think about the the parallels that we all actually have, like we all doesn't matter, um, you know, where you're from. If you're a person of color, we all experience the same type of discrimination and racism. And um, 
and we can draw all of that in. And, and, you know, I, I've met so many people along my travels from all over the world. You know, I've met people from the Brazilian rainforest and they had the same, it was so unbelievable. I think that was the first time I was in Montreal that I realized that this whole idea of resource extraction and the violence towards the indigenous people of that land and the communities and the destruction that we all experience that um, in some form. And uh, that was probably the first time that I realized that yeah. we, we, the, the struggles that indigenous people have in Canada, they're the same struggles that, that all people that are indigenous to lands have, whether it be missing women, um, you know, the violence that occurs to the people of that land uh, physically, and it was a huge eye opener going to that, uh, going to that gathering where it was women from all over the world. And every single one of us had the same experience in just a different way. Yes, that is so true. Yeah. So true. Yes. Oh, my goodness. You are spot on when it comes to the correlations of being a person of color. Um, mm -hmm. And I've even uh, spoke to another woman from the Klingit Haida community in Alaska. And uh, she was just telling me some of the things that I, I was just like, there's a name for this. Um, generational traumas, there's uh, epigenetics, and um, the whole kind of just went down the charts, like there's so much effect, you think to yourself that it only affects you, or it affects your ancestors. But really, it's, it's a trickle. It's generational trauma. And she even put it to the point where she said when her mother was going through the struggles and the turmoil and the, the heartache and the specifically through the residential schools in Alaska, how she was in her mother as an ache and she was inflicted by this and it's a continuation. It's a, it's nothing but an endless violent cycle yeah. that people of color continue to go through. And I, what really floors me is when someone tells, tells another person, Oh, well that didn't happen to you. So don't worry about it. You know, that's in the past. Yeah. Everything that we do from the, even if we weren't, you know, our ancestors are our past, but that's part of us. We are the present and the future. That's all connected. And it's like, you can't disconnect yourself to thinking if it happened in the past, it's not going to affect anyone and, you know, get over it kind of a mentality. And it just, I just get so frustrated when someone does that. Um, it's infuriating, hey? Like, yeah. um, you know, what you speak of, that intergenerational trauma that we all have experienced um, in, in the easiest way to put it is that, you know, my grandmother had all of her children attend residential school. Mm -hmm. They didn't get to have that love and nurturing um, from a mother right. or a father aspect. So when, when, when they're being sent back to community, they, they don't have that connection anymore and they don't know how, you know, we, we've lost that or, or they tried to take that. And, um, you know, it was, it's trying to undo all of that damage in the, and, you know, I've often, people have said to me, like, like you just said, get over it. Mm -hmm. You can't get over that because it's constant work for indigenous people in Canada to work through those traumas, you know, that blood memory, like you speak of, yes. um, that every single thing that I do 
um, I have to be mindful and very cognizant of, of my actions because I, I have children that depend on me to be there, to show up. And some days I don't want to show up because I'm sick of the racism. I'm sick of the people saying, cut it out. Like that happened a long time ago. Those aren't really bodies. They haven't been confirmed yet. That is, that is the absolute oh. most disgusting statement that I see on social media. And um, the, the biggest thing is there should never have been graveyards at school. You know, um, I mean, if, if you can't even wrap your brain around that and realize what an atrocity this was, and that it was real and that it happened, then there is something seriously wrong with you. Yeah. You know, yeah. Um, I don't engage uh, on social media with people. Every once in a while, somebody will message me and, and I can, I can tell right away whether or not I'm wasting my breath because, you know, there's, there's this thing where people will say, you know, well, you have a responsibility to, to educate if somebody is, is doing that. And it's like, well, you know what I do? And I, I'll, I'd rather do it in this way then get into it with somebody on social media who, um, who doesn't want to learn, you know, you can tell really fast if somebody is willing to open their, their mind and actually try to actually understand. And, um, and it's always put on indigenous people and people of color to be the educators. Why can't you learn yourself? Mm -hmm. You know, we, we are just as valuable by having like a podcast and speaking about this as valuable as it is, if you actually looked up these things, read the TRC, read the National Inquiry into Missing and Murdered Women and Girls. You know, um, I took part in a, in a project with Amnesty and we wrote a report called Out of Sight, Out of Mind. It's about resource extraction and violence towards Indigenous women and girls in lands. Read those reports. That's what they're there for. You know, um, myself being a, a daughter of survivors of residential school, there's some nights where I sit on my couch and I'm so grateful that my mom and dad survived that mm -hmm. because if not me and my siblings who are all amazing and all doing our own work in our communities, um, we wouldn't be here. Right. You know, those grief boxes wouldn't happen. I wouldn't have my two sons, right. you know, had they not endured those atrocities and, and came out the other end and made a real effort to, to parent and to be there. You know, um, I'm so lucky that, um, you know, my father uh, quit drinking in 1977. So most of my life has been has been this role model of sobriety from my mother and my father and hard work. And, you know, um, they were able to come out of that darkness and really provide a loving and supportive environment as much as you can through living through that kind of trauma. And I appreciate it. You know, um, I know a lot of families that um, that are lost. Their parents are lost in addiction right now. And it is. They, people don't understand that that intergenerational trauma is, is, is a huge part of it. And that stems from residential schools. When you see people on the streets, uh, people of color and Indigenous people on the streets, deep in their addiction, you know, I, I often tell people, you know, that is a product of intergenerational trauma and not being able to cope and not having those coping mechanisms taught to you or how to, um, how to work through your, your trauma and your triggers. And I said, they're no different than, than, you know, Joe Blow that works at the bank or works at the, the lawyer's office that is, is in addictions as well. They just have a nicer place to sleep, exactly. you know, um, I, I can't say how infuriating it is to me to see people post 
pictures of, of people in the banks laying down, sleeping. You know, there was one in particular where, where a person on my social media posted a picture of, of a young woman. A part of her pants were rolled down and it had just dozens of comments. And, and I was like, okay, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to scroll by. Mm. Go back. And I just, I just called her out. I said, like, that's the difference between you and me is that I look at that person and I see somebody that A, might be potentially victimized mm-hmm. or B, already has been. Mm. And I would call the police. I would call an ambulance. I would make sure they're okay. But you, you chose to take a picture of them, ridicule them on social media. And I said, and that's the kind of person that you are. And that tells me a lot about you. Right. Um, right. And we need to stop normalizing ridiculing ridiculing people that are are hurting mm-hmm. you know um I all mean, the family oh. go ahead oh no go, no you're you're on the roll and I, it's um <laughs> I, I didn't want to stop you because I'm like I'm just like yes yes there's so many people who are I can't say as so many but there's a majority of them on the social media it's almost like they're dehumanizing ridiculing someone at their lowest point of their life and yeah. um it's just traumatizing to see that. And if the thought of that person, actually, the one who's being the picture is taken of that person and is, uh, you know, finds that old photo of themselves years down the road on social right. media, it still inflicts so much pain. It's just like it's it's never ending for them. Like, they, yeah. it's just it's uh, oh, my gosh, I'm so frustrated. <laughs> I just, I'm glad I didn't see that because I would have been like. Who is this person? I want. <laughs> I lost it. Yeah, but I did it in a respectful way. You know, I pointed out that that that's the difference between how you're being raised. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. or that you've shut that human part of you off that you could, that you like you said that you could actually ridicule, and and do that to somebody that is already literally laying on the ground. Right. Like, what more can you do to that person? You know, um, I had youth in my life that's seen that and that was their relative mm. and they were so hurt they were so hurt you mm. know and um and it's those kinds of things that we have to be mindful of our kids are watching yes. they're watching everything that we do and how we conduct ourselves you know um I'm so grateful I have two children uh they're 15 and uh, 17 and I have raised them in this way I have raised them to be compassionate and kind and they are both boys and they are loving and um, they, they have a real understanding of, of a lot of things that maybe they shouldn't. You know, I used to take them to rallies. We used to go and to take back the night. And, mm-hmm. you know, um, I've had my child um, physically assaulted at the school prior mm-hmm. because he stuck up for, for one of his girl friends and, um, and said, you can't do that to her. And he was, I think, in grade four. And he was like, you don't get to do that to my friend. Um, it was a young man and he was making gestures in behind her. And my son at that age already knew then that is not right. And you don't get to do that. Wow. And, um, you know, and, and it's, it's such hard work to raise our children in this world right now. You know, if we don't take that initiative to, to teach them and to guide them, somebody else will. And, uh, and I refuse to let that happen, you know, um, so that is so true. I have three boys of my own, so I completely understand that if you <laughs> if you choose not to have that structure in your home and you're raising 
um, your children, someone else is going to take that reign and exactly and, and control them. And if you want them to build that structure and build the mentality that the endurance and determination of believing in themselves and having the point where the morals of life, I mean, being mm-hmm. this, this world is just so upside down. We want to educate. We want to make these minds yeah. grow. Yeah. Um, we, we can't do it without you. We can't yeah. do it without you. So I'm so thankful and blessed to have you here uh, speaking with me. I will have all the links and resources in the show notes. Thank you for listening to Hands Off My Podcast. If you are enjoying the podcast and you'd like to support the mission, I do have a Patreon membership that will help the cause and bring more detail on cases and stories from the people of color community. If you yourself has a lost loved one, or a story suggestion, please don't hesitate to contact me at email. Hands off my podcast at gmail.com. And if you are only able to support in another way, please give this podcast a five star rating on Apple or Spotify and continue to listen to upcoming episodes every Thursday, wherever you listen to your podcast. Dios te bendiga.